You are now tuned in to Saved and Woke. Yes, I am. It's your boy, Mr. Saved and Woke. And these are the afterthoughts for Meeting of the Misters Part 2. Miles and I had a great discussion, and this second part of the conversation was hands down my favorite part. Um, and because of that, I have a lot of afterthoughts. I believe about eight total. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. So the first thing I want to clear up was the point I was making about being truly woke. Um, and if some people are having a hard time with that, which I imagine there are, um, I actually had a Facebook conversation with somebody who was just could not get through their heads what I was talking about when I'm saying being truly woke. Um, so on the episode, I said, you're not truly woke unless you are a believer. And I think this gentleman on in this Facebook conversation that I was having was saying like, wait, so are you saying, are you telling me that Malcolm X was not woke? And no, that's not what I'm saying at all. So you're like socio-politically, yes, the brother was woke. Spiritually, was the brother woke? No. Um, and it's the spirit of the spirit of God is what's going to lead us into all truth. You know, if you got if you're socio-politically woke, you got some truth. You got some well, you got some facts, I will say. You got some facts. Um, but it's only the spirit of God that will lead us into all truth. And the Bible said, or the Bible says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And when I say fear, it's not, well, when the Bible says fear, it's not talking about like, oh, you're scared of God. It's a reverence and an honor, a faith and belief in the fact that God is who he says he is and who the Bible says he is. Um, so that's what I meant by that yeah like there are a lot there are tons of people who are you know socio-politically woke but who are not spiritually woke and as a believer you know knowing that there is going to be a judgment day it's that spiritual wokeness that ultimately matters and also that spiritual wokeness that will or that 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 discernment is what we usually call it discernment that will allow you to see and understand the wiles the movements of the of the enemy and that in and of itself is something that i want to explain more fully in terms of like the spiritual causes behind everything that we see in the media particularly like racism um poverty inequality and things of that nature um but with that said i'm going to go on to the second clarification i want to make um in the episode Miles asked me, he asked me how I would share the gospel. And he's, he asked me that after providing this illustration of how these really, I don't know how to explain it, about these, um, I guess, the quintessential over-the-top campus minister who's always talking about, you know, fire and brimstone and really trying to just beat you down with guilt and condemnation. And then he asked me, how would you share the gospel? And I was really, when I answered it, I said, you know, I wouldn't tell people at all. I would just, you know, show them by my life. And I think what I was trying to do, instead of instead of giving a real answer, I was just trying to 
distinguish myself as fully as possible from that really over the top and intense example. Um, but actually, um, I was talking to a friend of mine and he was sharing like, you know, how God had just really burdened his heart to really get or to renew his intentionality when it came with just sharing the gospel, like explicitly sharing the gospel, like telling his friends like, hey, man, I want to read. I want to go through some of the books of the Bible with you and explain what the gospel is and explain who Jesus is. And you know what? I was really convicted because I was like, you know, I've never done that. And yes, you can show people the gospel based off how you live, but I don't want to, I just had to repent. Basically, I had to repent for basically, basically saying that I wouldn't tell someone the gospel that I would just try to show them, you know, like trying to do it kind of like in this incognito kind of way. But, um, God has been really dealing with me about that. And there's been somebody who has been on my mind even before we had this conversation. I was like, you know what? I just really need to share the gospel with this particular individual. And I'm going to do that. So I'm going to give a new answer. How would I best share the gospel? Well, I would first seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. Um, and just like whenever I can, like if I have, if I already have a relationship with somebody like friends or family who I know, like I'm just going to approach it in a way that's, you know, not creepy that's not over the top that's not you know condemning them but i'm just gonna let like be up front because i mean pretty much all my friends know i'm saved anyway they know i'm a believer they know i'm a christian and i'll just be up front about it and be like hey what do, what do you believe and just start conversation like what like i i know what i believe and i think you know what i believe but i don't know what you believe and just go go from there um, maybe I'll have some updates with, for you all on how that goes, but that's how I would do it. Um, uh, just in love and like, just like a normal conversation thing. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, point number three, I mentioned that the word can become flesh through us just like it did with, um, Jesus and I just want to clarify what I meant with that. I'm not saying that we will become God. Like we, um, but Jesus came down and in, 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 in his fleshly body, in his earthly natural body, he lived the word. And in that way, the word became flesh. Like he was already, you know, that aspect of, or that person of the, of the Trinity. Like, you know, there's the father the word and the Holy Spirit. And so the word came down and became Jesus. So not only did he take on a body, but he lived the word out. And so when we live the word out in our bodies here on earth, that is how the word becomes flesh through us. That was a pretty simple one. Praise God. All right. Number four. Um, I mentioned when uh, Mr. Magnificent Miles was asking about why can't we just be good people? Basically, why can't we just do good things to and be okay with God? And I just explained that to God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I believe I gave a pretty good illustration of that. But what I want to be, or what I, what I want to clarify, is that well, just because we've been made righteous, that does not mean that we can just go on after believing in Christ and do whatever we want to do. Um, the Bible makes really clear about like those who are born of the Spirit, meaning those who are believers in Christ, then after that need to go ahead and live 
by the Spirit, according to the Spirit. And the Spirit is always going to be in agreement with God's Word. So everything in the Bible, the Spirit is going to be in agreement with. And so if you're living according to according with that, then not only will you have been made righteous by the finished work of by believing in the finished work of Christ, but you will also be living righteously. Hope that makes sense. Um, point number five. So when I was talking about why Christians should be woke, I was to, and I, I mentioned that we should be aware as as soldiers in the army of the Lord, we need to be aware of the tactics of the enemy. And I make this comment about police specifically um, acting not necessarily to protect communities, but mostly to generate revenue. And I got that um, from a lot of reading that I've done. One book that I've read was called The New Jim Crow. Um, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. That was like that that book right there is what is what sent me <laughs> first like that that's that's the book that I feel like had a huge part in my social political wokeness. Um and in it she details how um police are encouraged to to ticket people not necessarily because they're doing something wrong but in order to for in order for the the city to be able to you know collect the fines that the people have to pay for those tickets um and i also read another book called to protect and serve which details pretty much the same thing and this book was written by a gentleman by the name of norm stamper and what's unique about this book i would say is that this gentleman was a or is a former police officer so not he's not just somebody who's out on the outside looking in and being really really critical he's someone who's worked on the inside of a police department and who himself was encouraged and admits to being encouraged to to ticketing and arresting people just so they could be fined um, and create revenue for the city and he actually goes more more in de in depth with his um, explanation of like police activity in that regard and talks about how like a productive officer i believe is how he phrased that a productive officer is not one whose you know i guess area of the city was you know free of crime but it was somebody who constantly was ticketing people um, and so he'll tell you, he said, like, police officers will all, all the time will tell you that there's no such thing as, like, a quota. But if it's, it's, it's unofficial. We're not, they're not supposed to talk about it. They're not supposed to have one. So, of course, they're not going to tell you that there is a quota. Um, he said, but there was definitely clear pressure from sergeants, higher-ups, captains, whatever you, you want to call them, um, to ticket people specifically to re generate revenue for the city. So that's where I got that from. I didn't just pull it out of nowhere. Uh, point number six, I believe. So, very quickly, this one shouldn't take too much time either. I let you all know that when I referred to America as a Christian nation, that I was being very sarcastic. And that might have caught some of you off guard. But if you would like an explanation of that, you can go back to season one. 
of the podcast and listen to the episode entitled America, Not So Christian After All. And basically what I said in that episode is that you can identify, I believe you can identify a Christian nation in the same way that you can identify a Christian person. So a Christian person will change their ways. A Christian person will live according to the will of God. A Christian person will give to the sick. A Christian will will tend to the sick and give to the poor and take extra precautions um, to meet the needs of you know orphans and widows and things of that nature. And not only that, one th- huge thing is that the, the Bible that the Bible tells us to do is that we are supposed to put the good of others before our own needs and that we're supposed to think soberly of ourselves and not think too highly of ourselves. And I cannot think of a single time in, a, in American history where the founding fathers or anybody after thought of someone else's needs above the nations. And I think even saying that sounds kind of weird. Like, why would we try to take care of another nation's needs before ours? And I said, well, a Christian nation, a nation that trusts in and relies on God would do that. One, because that's God's will. And two, because God is our provider. um, But based off of what I'm seeing, especially with this whole how we're treating immigrants, ripping them, ripping families apart, and forgetting that our savior was an immigrant. He immigrated to Egypt to escape persecution, just like these immigrants today are. And it's like this nation is far from anything Christ-like. So that's where that came from. Uh, Point number seven, I was talking about how crime, when crime exists or is like those like crime ridden areas like there is for a specific it's for a specific purpose um because personally i believe that if people wanted to you know eradicate crime in certain areas then they could very well do that because you know just think of it this way if let's say there was a somebody think of the richest part the richest safest part of where you live Imagine if there was somebody dealing crack on the corner in the neighborhood. It would get squashed immediately. It would get squashed. And if there was somebody other than that guy, if, they had, there, was like a, if there was like a little cartel going on, then they would squash it in that area and they would not show up again. But in certain areas, in those crime-ridden areas, for some reason, they, uh, there's, always, uh, there's always somebody popping up. There's always going to be a drug dealer popping up. Like Even on crime shows, they'll say, well, you know, if you arrest one, you arrest one drug runner, then another one's going to pop up. Or if you arrest one dealer, another one's just going to pop up. And um, this is actually something else that was uh, explained in that book, uh, To Protect and Serve by Norm Stamper, is that uh, police departments are actually incentivized, financially incentivized, to keep to make sure that, the, that drug trafficking um, continues because they often, I, want, I don't think, commandeer, Commandeer is not the correct term, but if a house is like suspected to be like a trap house where the people are selling drugs or something like that, they can basically take the house and then the police department will own that house and then eventually they'll be able to even like sell that house and gain the revenue from that house and stuff like that. So if whenever there's like money or property 
that has been um, taken by law enforcement, like they own that property and they can profit from that. So if there was no drug trafficking, then they wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Um, and so that's why I was saying that crime is allowed to stay in certain areas because it benefits and maintains the status quo and they can have it and they make sure it's in certain areas with people who are um, who are poor or not socially connected which is usually people of people of color uh, immigrants um, and because if they allow that kind of stuff if they try to allow that stuff to happen with you know more socially connected more affluent people um, and often with just white people that it would it would not go down it would not be able to that crime that they profit from would not be able to continue so that's what I was talking about so that was actually my last afterthought for this episode um, shout outs to Mr. Magnificent Miles because that was a great interview y'all be looking out for my or for the next episode of the podcast um, D is coming back finally for a really, really good conversation. So until then, keep the faith and stay woke.